So we're going to turn now to, uh, to, to 1 Samuel 9. Um, we're looking at the whole chapter. I understand this is a, this is a longer passage, so it takes a few minutes to read. Um, but uh, many truths from our Lord here in 1 Samuel 9. So let's, let's look at this together. 1 Samuel 9, starting in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. There's a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of uh, Bacorath, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a, a handsome young man. Uh, there was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of, of Kish... Uh, Saul's father were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of uh, Shalisha, uh, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, uh, but, there, but they were not there. And then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, uh, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us uh, go to the seer, for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, Come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up uh, the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come uh, just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. And as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. 
And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, I'm, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept before you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. And they were going down uh, to the outskirts of the city. Samuel said to Saul, tell the servants to pass on before us. And when he had passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would be our teacher and open this text and apply it into our life together as a church. And we need your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are here last week, uh, you know that in um, First. Samuel 8, the chapter right before the one that we just read, the elders of the people of Israel came to Samuel and said, we want a king like the other nations. And uh, the rest of the book of 1 Samuel is really about an answer to that request, God giving uh, the Israelites a king. And the first king is a king like the other nations. That's Saul, who we're reading about in this passage. And Saul actually starts off pretty well as a king, but he ends up eventually turning away from the Lord. And so then the Lord chooses a different king who is David, King David, and, the, and he becomes the second king of Israel. And, the, and the, really the rest of 1 Samuel is about these two kings, Saul and King David. And um, I'll tell you, when I first was approaching this passage, I thought it was largely a negative description of a leader. Uh, because in the beginning it says in the end of verse 1 that Kish was a man of wealth. And then it says in verse 2, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For his sho- from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And so Saul is the kind of king that the nations want. He's rich, he's tall, he's handsome, he's powerful, and the nations want a king like that. His qualities are superficial. But the rest of the chapter actually has a number of positive qualities about Saul. And so he's really a mixed character at this point. And so what I want to focus on today are those deeper, more positive qualities in Saul as we think about the leaders in our church and the officers in our our church. And I'd like to highlight four qualities that we should look for in our leaders. And this is what they are. God's sovereignty in their life. 
God's power in their weakness, God's covenant in their commitment, and God's grace in their service. Four qualities, God's sovereignty in their life, God's power in their weakness, God's covenant in their commitment, and God's grace in their service. I hope that this passage could be a guide for us as we enter into this nomination period as a church. So, four qualities this morning from 1 Samuel 9. And the first is this, God's sovereignty in their life. And the first thing we learn in this passage about Saul is that he's a Benjaminite. And you see that there in verse 1, where it says, There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth, and he had a son whose name was Saul. Now, the people of Israel in the Old Testament were made up of 12 tribes who came from the 12 sons of Jacob that you read about in the book of Genesis. And the youngest of those sons was uh, Benjamin. And if you go back to the book of Genesis and you read about the time when Benjamin was born, there, it, there's a moment in Genesis 35 where the Lord says to Jacob, kings shall come from your own body. And then in the next chapter, Benjamin, or in the next paragraph, Benjamin is born. And so there is a certain kind of kingly destiny that is tied up with the people of, of Benjamin. And so Saul as a leader... His leadership as a king that he's taking was something that God had been planning. His purposes, his sovereignty had been orchestrating, not just in Saul's life, not just in the life of Saul's fathers, but for centuries through his family, he had been forming them. And, you know, I've often thought about that with regard to the leaders in our church as well. That all the leaders in our church, you know, they've been shaped somewhat in our church, but really far more even before they've come here, you know, um, by the families that they grew up in and the people that led them to the Lord, the people that discipled them, that had an influence on them. And, and even going back further than that, that, you know, who their parents were and who their grandparents were, or great-grandparents were, that all of those things have passed down into shape. This is who they, who they are. And then all of the hardships and the trials that they've had to work through and all the experiences of redemption, all of that is God's sovereign hand working to shape leaders. And so the first thing we see about leadership in this passage is it's shaped by the mysterious providence and sovereignty of God in a person's life. And that is a humbling truth that our service to God will be chosen by him. He chooses who will serve him. And some of you might think, oh yeah, well, you know, there are certain people who come from great families and they have all kinds of opportunity where they have education. And so they're the ones who become the leaders. So what about the rest of us? You know, what about our influence? Well, that's not how God's sovereignty works in the Bible. The Apostle Paul talks about God's choosing of his servants in 1 Corinthians 1. This is how he describes it. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God's sovereignty in our lives looks like him choosing the lowly, the foolish, and the despised. And uh, that's even true in this passage. You know, even though Saul came from uh, Benjamin, which is, had this kind of kingly 
prophecies spoken over them uh, so long ago. There's more happening in this passage because what we'll find out in the next chapter is that Saul was specifically from a town called Gibeah in, in Benjamin. And uh, if you want to learn about Gibeah during Saul's day, you need to go back to the book of Judges. And in the end of the book of Judges, you'll come to one of the darkest chapters in the whole Bible. And if you haven't read it, it will shock you to read it. And it tells a story about a concubine who comes to the town of Gibeah. And all the men of the town of Gibeah abuse her for a whole night until she finally dies. It's so horrific. It's so terrible. It's so bad it leads to a civil war in Israel. And uh, all the other tribes turn against Benjamin. And many of the men in Benjamin are, are, are killed. And so Gibeah is one of the most despised towns. And Benjamin had become one of the most dis- despised tribes in Israel. And so here is the Lord going to the most despised place to choose his king and his servant. And even Saul is surprised by this himself because when he meets Samuel and Samuel says, hey, you're going to be a king, what does Saul say? Look at verse 21. Saul answered, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? This is the mystery of God's providence throughout our lives. That all of us have experiences that have been shaping us. And we have no idea God's purposes in them. But those are the experiences that make us into leaders and servants. And so the first component in the forming of a leader is God's sovereignty in their life. All the way back into their family history. The second component that we see in this passage is God's power in their weakness. So we see God's sovereignty in their life. God's power in their weakness. And this passage mentions that Saul uh, was called to be a king when he was out searching for donkeys. That was the setting. You see there in verse 3 how it says, Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise. Go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the the land of uh, Shalisha. Uh, But they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim and... Uh, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. And I picture Paul as, as kind of aimless in this passage. You know, I, I think he's in his 40s. And, uh, you know, he's just out looking for the donkeys from town to town. And he's going from this town. Have you seen my dad's donkeys? Have you seen my dad's donkeys? And, uh, you know, commentators are mixed on the meaning of the donkeys. Um, some say that it's an indication that, that Saul is not a good shepherd. Because in the Old Testament, it says that kings were like shepherds who shepherded the people of Israel. And this is kind of a bad omen that, you know, he can't even shepherd the donkeys. How much is he going to shepherd the, the people of Israel? And it actually proves true that he proves to not be a good shepherd of the people of Israel. Um, but there's another side to this story. Oh, you know, and one other point about that is that King David, who later becomes a shepherd, was a good shepherd. He proved himself to be a good shepherd, and that prepared him to be a king. But there's another side of the story with Saul that Saul is, in this passage, doing what his father asked him to do. And uh, so far in 1 Samuel, people have not been doing what their fathers asked. Eli had two sons who did not listen to their father. Samuel had two sons who did not listen to their father. And so here comes Saul, and he has an obedient spirit, a humble spirit. And he said, you know, looking for donkeys, isn't that glamorous? All right, I'll go look for the donkeys. Whatever needs to be done, I'm going to go do it. And that is the mark 
of God's power working in our weakness is, is, the, is that humility. That should be the mark in the leaders we are looking for is quick to listen. Do not view their opinions too highly. Prayerfully trusting in God's power to work. And, you know, this is, this is uh, you know, a question about this is how does, how do we fit that with, okay, you know, Saul has humility, Saul has weakness, and how do you know that that then means that he's ready to be a king, ready to be the leader of Israel? Well, one answer uh, from this passage is that there are some good things with Saul, but what's missing in Saul is preparation. That's one of the main differences between King Saul here and King David later, that David will endure many trials before he becomes a king. Uh, uh, Jesus, too, would uh, have to endure the cross and endure the suffering of his trial before he would be seated at his father's right hand and receive the throne. And Saul does not have that period of preparation. He is just made a king. And Peter Lightheart puts it this way. He says, Saul became king without ever accepting the cross, while David, the king from Judah, rose to the throne only after a death and resurrection. The cross is the essence of God's power working in the midst of weakness. And so what are we looking for in our leaders? We see how God's sovereign providence has shaped who they are and prepared them. And there's a humility about them that is, has been learned in suffering that has taught them to trust God's power in the midst of their weakness. And when people have endured suffering, it uh, creates a third quality in them. This is our third quality. So we see God's power, God's sovereignty in their lives, God's power in their weakness. Third, we see God's covenant in their commitment. God's covenant in their commitment. So what happens in the story is Saul's looking for the donkeys with his servant. And uh, eventually he says, you know what, we can't find the donkeys, let's go home. And the servant says, well, I've heard about this prophet who's in this town. And maybe we go talk to the prophet and the prophet will know where the donkeys are. And we'll ask him. And so that's what leads them to this town where Samuel is. And, uh, and it says there in verse 11, as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? Now in the Old Testament, when a man comes to a well and meets a woman, it usually means there is a wedding coming soon. That's where men go and they end up meeting their wives in the Old Testament story. And, uh, and yet, uh, um, but in this passage, uh, Saul does not meet a young woman and get married, and there's not a literal wedding. What there is in this passage, though, is a feast. And you see the feast mentioned there in verse 12. It says, uh, so these women answered, uh, the, the seer is here. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him. Before he goes up to the high place to eat, for the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now, a sacrifice would have been a feast day. It's where you're taking your best piece of meat, your best animal, you're going you're gonna to slaughter it, and then you're going to cook it up in the presence of the Lord, and in your presence with your family, and in the presence of all your friends, and you're going to have a feast day. It was very much like a wedding. But who's getting married in this passage? Well, in other places in the Old Testament, it says that the relationship between the king 
and the people is a covenantal relationship. It's a covenant. It's like a marriage. In a marriage, you know, a husband and wife are bound together by promises, by a covenant. And, uh, and that's the same for us with Jesus. Jesus is our king. And what does the Bible say Jesus, who Jesus' people are? Jesus' people are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. And how do we renew our covenant with our, you know, the bride of Christ, renew the covenant with her Lord and king? At a meal, at a sacrificial meal where Jesus' body was broken and blood was shed. And we eat at the sacrificial meal and we renew the covenant with him. This is the nature of kingship. And I think this tells us something else about leadership. It is that leaders in the church bind themselves to the church. There is a commitment. There is a faithfulness. And as we think about the kind of people we want as officers in our church, they have to have exemplified that kind of faithfulness. With all the flaws in churches, it's just like a marriage. Marriages are imperfect. They have high times and low times. And they're held together by that covenant. And one of the most important qualities in our leaders is just that patient faithfulness. And that's what I mean by seeing God's covenant in their commitment. And that's a challenge for us as a young church because we have a lot of new people in our church. And it takes time to exemplify that faithfulness. But what this means is when we're nominating elders and deacons in the church, the big question you want to ask is, who has already been doing the work? Who is getting involved? Who shows a willingness to serve and to faithfully give of their time and gifts? Who's discipling and investing in others? Who's opening their home? You don't want to give someone the office so that they'll start serving. You see who's serving, and then you place the office on the person who's already doing that work. Now, in the New Testament, there is a list of qualifications for leaders in the church, and as you nominate people, be sure to read those. You want elders who will guard the teaching and morals of the church and are examples of a Christ-centered life. You want deacons who serve and generously give of themselves to others. And in this passage, we get a few other insights about leaders, that that God's sovereignty has been shaping their life, and that God's power works in their weakness, and they're marked by that humility, that God's covenant shows itself in a faithful commitment to the church. But there's one more component that I want to point out in this passage, is God's grace in their service. That service is a key word to to. To leadership um, among God's people. And so what happens in this story is the Lord tells Samuel that there's a man who's going to show up at this feast who's going to be the next king, and he wants him to make him king. And so uh, Saul shows up at this feast. You see in verse 22, and it says, Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. Um, So Samuel is supposed to sit at the head of the table, and Saul comes, and Samuel says, all right, Saul, you're going to take my seat at the head of the table because I've been the ruler of Israel. Now you're going to be the ruler of Israel, and you're going to take my place. And then it goes on and says in verse 23, And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you of which I said put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. Now why is the leg important? Well, if you go back to the book of Leviticus where it talks about the sacrifices, you'll find out that the leg was reserved for for the priests. And so here is Saul who's going to become a king, but he's getting the portion of a priest. He also has a priestly role. And what does a priest do? 
Well, priests in the Old Testament were the servants in God's household. You know the kinds of things they did is they like cut up animals and cooked the food and washed up all the, you know, the blood in the, in the house. And they were servants that served the Lord and, and served the people. And uh, so receiving the leg was a sign that the king is a servant. And that's why Jesus, when he came preaching about his own kingdom, one of Jesus' great sermons about leadership, maybe the greatest sermon about leadership is in Mark chapter 10. And this is what our Lord says. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Just as in this passage, kingship and priestly sacrifice come together, they come together even more fully in the Lord Jesus, the true king who came also as the priest who did not just offer a sacrifice, he offered himself as the sacrifice. His blood was the sacrifice. He was the ultimate servant king. And so how does an officer in our church come to know that he's a servant in the church? It's only when he knows that Jesus has come and paid the price for him and been humbled by that truth. Because it's only through the love of Jesus that we can begin to see God's sovereignty in everything that's happened in our lives and that everything that's happened in our life is purposed by God for good. And it's only through the love of Jesus that we have the humility to know that God's power is only made perfect in our weakness and that his grace is what's sufficient for us. And it's only through the love of Jesus that we learn that God's covenant, his commitment that is binding us together as the church. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is what makes a leader. Our greatest value as a church is the grace and truth of Jesus. And so when we are looking for leaders, we are really looking for him. Where do we see Jesus at work in our midst? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the church in every land that you are building. Uh, Lord, we know that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. We pray that you would build your church here in Bellingham and Whatcom County. We pray uh, for this nomination process that your Holy Spirit would be our guide and give us wisdom as your people. And... Um, and uh, Lord, uh, we pray that you would use our lives our, that have been sovereignly formed by you for the service of your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.